Good morning. Welcome. We are glad that you are joining us this morning. want to remind you before I forget that we will be having a drive-through dessert uh, line for all the ladies today right after the service till about 1230. Uh, so when church ends, hop in your car, come up here uh, to the west side of the building, drive through the awning, and we will give you some goodies. Uh, with that in mind, I, I have, uh, we have several of the deacons here today and and my, my homeboy, Nate Dog is here with us this morning. They're going to help pass that stuff out. It's so nice to have some human beings in the house this morning. I mean, Todd and Tom are always here, but I get tired of looking at them. Um, so it's nice to have some people here with us this morning. I've got my family, and my mother is here this morning. Happy Mother's Day, Gigi. We love you. Um, and it's just, it's exciting. It feels good. Um, so, Friday was the 75th anniversary of VE Day, the 75th anniversary of VE Day, the victory in Europe, uh, May 8th, 1945, the day Germany surrendered and the European theater of World War II was over. It's been 75 years since that day, a day millions and millions across the world celebrated in the streets. And a man that was largely responsible for leading that victory, Dwight D. Eisenhower that you see on your screen, has this to say about leadership. In order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter whether it is on a section gang, on a football field, in an army, or in an office. If a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity and high purpose. Now, we have been discussing being a warrior for God. We've been going through uh, chapter 4 of James, and we've seen how God actively lines up in battle formation, in battle versus the prideful heart, but gives grace to those that join His side uh, to the humble that surrender to Him. We've looked at how our prayers are important, that the foundations of our prayers should be the desire to obey God. And then last week, we looked at how, with these first two things in mind, that should keep us from being overly critical towards one another, that a surrendered heart to God should produce in us a desire for mutually beneficial feedback rather than slander, gossip, and judgmental criticism. Today, a commander worth following. A commander worth following. Now, James is addressing in the church, is addressing, excuse me, the church in and around Jerusalem around A.D. 50 in his letter. He writes his letter addressing the internal strife of the church and the external oppression from the wealthy and how to live out their faith properly in these two instances. We join the letter in chapter 4, verse 13, today. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. It says, come now, you who have an arrogant heart. You who think because you are financially secure, you don't need God. James reminds us, in all things, even future planning, we should keep at the center of God's will. Our surrendered mentality. If God says it's okay, then we shall... Dot, dot, dot. Does this mean that you have to literally say this every time you're speaking of plans? Of course not. We know that's not the way God is. That's just religious memorization. But two things we know about what comes out of our mouth. One, it is an expression of the heart. And two, it can remind us of what matters. So if this is never said, if God wills, or something like that. If it's never said, then James is warning here, you're treading on the thin ice of pride. Watch out. And then in verse 17, he repeats what is widely believed to be a common saying in their day, and he applies that common saying, excuse me, to this truth. Then in chapter 5, this, the subject is, is the same, but the tone changes. He says, Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will, against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. See, in verses 13 through 17, it seems that James is addressing people that could be in the church and outside of the church, followers and non-followers. But here, clearly, James switches gears to non-believers outside of the church. And James goes all Old Testament prophet on them. He says, you rich. And rich when used this way is synonymous with you wicked or you unrighteous. You who have abused your wealth on selfish living by harming and oppressing others. That is in the context of you rich. He says, you weep and wail. Weep and wail. What a picture. Be overcome. Be overwhelmed at the recognition of God's judgment coming on you. Earlier in chapter 4, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, James calls on us to repent and mourn over our sin, to turn to God. Here, in these verses, 1 through 6 in chapter 5, there's no call for repentance. It's too late. God's judgment has come. All the things you hold dear, your fine clothes, your fine food, your gold, your silver, it's gone. Now what's your life worth, is what James is saying. Now what's your life worth? Verse 4, look, the pay you've withheld from your workers. Clearly, this is clearly against Old Testament law. Deuteronomy 24, 14, and 15 is an example of that, but it's all throughout Old Testament about not withholding a day's wages from a worker. He says, look, pay attention. The cries of the unrighteous, the cries of your unrighteousness, excuse me, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Cue the dramatic music. 
dun, dun, dun. We will come back and camp out here in just a second. But he says, you have lived your soft, easy, luxurious life. All the while, you were simply fattening, unknowingly preparing yourself for the slaughter, the sacrifice, the judgment, the end. And then James changes tones again and goes back to address the church, the brethren, the brothers and the sisters, the followers of Jesus. James finally has addressed this great oppression. He's finally addressed this great oppression that is on the church and on the the Jewish Christians of the time. The part we all long for many times. That's the part we look forward to. For the bad guy to be brought to justice. For the oppressor to meet his doom. For the jerk to be set right. It's why you watch those shows where the good guy gets the bad guy at the end every time. You know. I know. Everybody knows what's going to happen. But we still love to watch those shows, to hear those stories. It finally comes for the Jerusalem church. It finally comes, and the bad guys get six whole verses of scorn from James. And then he immediately switches back to the church and how they are to respond to the bad guys. And what does he say? Grab your battle axe, grab your sword, grab your shield. No. Armor up, let's go to war. Nope. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Therefore, because of all this oppression that you're fighting, all these ways you're being wronged, all this unrighteousness being bestowed on you, Therefore, be patient. Be patient. It's like, be patient? That's it? What? Yep. Be encouraged or strengthen your heart. The Lord is coming soon, so be patient. Seriously, that, I mean, that's where you just kind of want to just walk off at that point. Like, that's, that's all I get. One quick side note. We love the hammer being dropped on the bad guy. But be careful of this being your heart. Were it not for the grace of God, you too would be the bad guy getting judgment, judgment dropped on you. And now we get into our meat and potatoes for today. We miss how big and heavy verses 1 through 6 in chapter 5 are when we just read through it. James invokes a name of God here that carries quite the connotation. A lot of things said without having to actually say it to the Jewish Christian audience for whom this letter was originally intended. He says, Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. The cries of injustice have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Only two times in the New Testament is this name used for God. Here, in James 5.4, and in Romans 9.29. And in Romans 9.29, Paul is quoting something from Isaiah. So really, it's only one time that the New, in the New Testament that this name is an actual reference to God by name. Now that makes you stop and think. Of all the names James could have called God, he chose that. And it's really the only time God is called by that name in the New Testament. So why would he do that? 
What's the point? Lord of hosts, or in Hebrew, Yahweh Zavat, is used 261 times in the Old Testament, like that, in that form, and a total of 284 times with other slight variations, if you include all that, 284 times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for host is first used in Genesis 2.1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Your English translation now probably says like all the things or everything or something like that, but the word there actually is host, and all the host of them. Hosts, all, everything, everything. Armies is also an English word that is used for hosts. And many times in Scripture you'll see it translated armies. God is first called by this name, actually called this name by a person, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 by Hannah. It says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him the Lord all the days of his life. And we know that her son that she has given is Samuel. And Samuel is the last judge born to the barren Hannah after this lament, this weeping and wailing, calling out to the Lord of hosts. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, David facing Goliath says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Or in Zechariah 8.3, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Or Micah 4.4, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Or in Isaiah 9, 19, Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. This name, Lord of hosts, carries power. This name carries protection. This name carries expectation. An expectation of the establishing of God's kingdom, a kingdom without injustice, a kingdom where the righteous are rewarded, where all things are made new and made right. The name is Warrior God. This name is Warrior God, Commander God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords God, Yahweh Zavat, Lord of hosts, God of all, by all, for all, eternal God, righteous God, judge, judge God. Capable God, redeeming God. Come, Lord Jesus, come, God, Lord of hosts. And the readers and listeners of James' letter would have instantly felt all of that when they heard or read that name, Lord of hosts. So, yes, brethren, brothers and sisters, therefore, since we follow and trust the integrity and high purpose of the Lord of hosts, Be patient. Let your hearts be encouraged or strengthened. The Lord is coming soon. 
Be patient for things to be made right. When you're slandered, when you're hurt, when you're wronged, when you're lied about, when coronavirus comes, when there's too much month at the end of the money, when she walks out, when he chooses her, the Lord of hosts has got this. Be patient. Follow your commander. The God of everything, the Lord of hosts, will make everything right when the time is right. The Lord of hosts will make everything right when the time is right. He is the commander worth following. Who is this God? Last scripture for the day. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies, or the hosts of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty." On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is that God. And he is coming again. And if you humble yourself, if you humble yourself and call on him as Lord and Savior, today if you haven't ever, repent of your sins and believe on him, Your life will never be the same. It says he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Referencing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And the fact that that Jesus is God. And he was with God. And he came down here and was still God. Even though he became man to be the sacrifice for us. When I was reading some things about uh, military leaders worth following some criteria for that, for military guys, some, some things they said. And one of the things they said was that you know your commander is willing to give up his life for the betterment of the troops. And I thought, there it is right there. That's our commander. He was willing to give up his life so that we could have life. Now, that's a commander worth following. It even says there in, in Revelations, it says that his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. There is still things about God that he has not revealed yet. We don't know all. We know enough. We know enough to follow him. We know enough to love him. We know enough to trust him. We know enough to put our faith in him. We know enough to be saved by him. But there is so much more to God that we don't even know yet. And so when it seems like the injustices aren't being fought, when it seems like the bad guy's winning and the good guy's getting crushed, James is reminding us that we follow the Lord of hosts, the Lord of everything, created all things out of nothing. And that God, who hasn't even finished revealing who all he is and what all he's going to do, that God is eventually going to make everything right in his perfect time so 
Brothers and sisters, just be patient. As hard as that is, as much as we want to fix it right now, we, want it, we wanted it fixed yesterday, whatever that is. God tells us, just be patient. Just trust me. Just know that I am a commander worth following. And I implore you today, if you have never humbled yourself and allowed Jesus to become your commander, your Lord and your Savior, I pray that today is that day. He is worth following. He is a commander worth following. He is the Lord of hosts. And He is coming back to establish His kingdom. He is coming back to make all things right. And when He does, you want to be on that side. You want to be on that side of the battle formation, that line, this side going that way, coming back to fight with Him. You don't want to be against Him. Amen. It's nice to hear an amen, Forrest. It's nice to hear that. Um, I'm going to pray for us, but before I pray for us, I just want to remind you uh, that we are having our Mother's Day dessert drive-through line as soon as we finish praying right here. So when we finish praying, don't cheat and leave before the prayer and get in your car. I know you're excited, but don't do that. Wait for the amen. But as soon as you hear that amen, jump in the car and drive down here, and we will pass out some goodies for you, get you all sugared and hopped up, um, and make you feel great for about an hour, and then it'll be terrible. But it will be worth it. It will be fun for a while. So we love you, uh, moms and, and ladies in general, and we thank you for all that you do in this church and outside of this church, and we just want to do a little something today to, uh, to say thanks. And so uh, I'm saying thank you now, and uh, understand that every one of those bags being passed to you is just another simple uh, way for us to say thank you to you. Jesus is the commander worth following, and I pray that we are following him today and every day. God, I come to you today, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you today that you are the Lord of hosts. God, and I pray that we will dig into your word and find those places where you're called the Lord of hosts, and that when we read across that, it will just be a strengthening reminder, that it will strengthen our heart, as James tells us, that we will know that you are the God in control, the God over everything, the God of everything, that you are coming back to establish your kingdom in your perfect time, and that when that happens, God, we can celebrate because we will be on the right side. All those who have humbled their hearts and surrendered their life to you and called out to Jesus as Lord and Savior because Jesus is the one that has reconciled us to you, God. We thank you for that today. Lord, I pray that we would just I challenge all of us to go read Psalm 46 this week over and over and be reminded of the strength of the Lord of hosts, God. We thank you for that truth this morning. I pray that we would be emboldened to follow the one true great commander, the one commander worth following. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen. We will finish this series next week. Uh, Be a warrior. Join the fight. uh, And we'll see you here in just a minute. We love you. Have a good week.